three, two, one. Nice. I bet you that Smooth. was perfect because I think my clap deafened out like hearing your clap, yeah. which means we are perfectly in sync. I think same on this end. Amazing. So maybe we are perfectly in sync. Maybe the internet <gasps> is on fire today. <laughs> we're Turbo oh, Discord. Now we're pod racing. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the momentous, incredible, celebratory 150th ever episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. And on today's episode, we've got an incredibly special treat for you in the form of a podcast episode that is exactly the same or comparative to all of the other podcast episodes that we've done for the past six months slash year. We are nothing if not incredibly consistent, which we are also not. 200. We'll do something for 200. I promise. I promise. But for this episode, it's me, Matt Lees, joined by Tom, Thomas Brewster. My name's Thomas Brewster, and I've literally eaten a meal deal. Oh, putting the juicer in Brewster. Keeping actually, it juicy. I actually had a Coke. Um, oh, with my, with my Coke is Scottish juice. <laughs> it's kind of, I always feel disappointed when I pitch for the Coke in a meal deal, because I feel like you should be using the meal deal to get the, the, the good stuff. Like you go for the, the triple sandwich, the fancy crisps, the like innocent smoothie or something like that. But I just went for a boring Coke. Um, I'm just a disappointment, basically. Well, I think you've got to treat yourself. Have what you want. Okay. I, in the day, used to go for the little uh, innocent smoothies because uh, they were more expensive and I was obsessed with getting the most high-value meal deal I yeah. possibly could uh, for the perception of big, big savings. <laughs> uh, but often it would mean uh, having more sandwiches that I wanted and drinks that I wasn't bothered about. Mm. So I think you've got to live your life, Tom. I think I'm falling into the same pitfalls you were falling into then, now. Yeah. Well... What can I say? You know, it's just generational, isn't it? We all make the same mistakes over and over again. And boots profits <laughs> will always continue to rise. <laughs> On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some board games. I'm going to be talking about a board game that I played. Tom is going to be playing about some board games that he played slash seen with his eyes in a physical place. And we're both going to be talking about a game called Star Scrappers that maybe we should just jump into and have a chat about now. Yeah, let's dive right in. Should I tell the people at home about what Star Scrappers Orbital is? Yes. Star Scrappers Orbital is the latest in the Star Scrappers line of games, which I didn't know was a thing, but this is the third one, I think, and it's called Star Scrappers Orbital. And in this game, which is designed, I should say, by Terraforming Mars designer Jacob Frixelius and published by Frix Games, you are making a space station, not together, against each other, differently in space uh the way the game works is over the course of several rounds you're going to have a little module in the center and you're going to build new rooms in your space station by playing these cards making it bigger and bigger and better throughout the course of the game you'll be paying money to do that and then you'll be using the modules on your station to earn money you'll earn crew to staff those modules and generally it's a lovely little crunchy little efficiency puzzle where you're building up this kind of majority engine thing because at the end of each round whoever's got the most of each color of module is going to score some points uh, and whoever has the most points is going to win the game 
And I've kind of given a very rough overview of that, but it is really a very, very simple game, surprisingly so. It is. Literally a game where you draw a hand of cards and then you have some money and you pay for those cards with money and then you get more cards and then you do more rounds and everything's kind of written on the cards and you get points for who has the most colours of modules. It's really very simple. It is super simple. And I think a lot of people compared it quite quickly to Galaxy Trucker in the fact that it has you building out a modular spaceship of different bits in uh ways that have them all connecting together from four directions um which is about where in my mind the similarities start and end (laughs) um in the fact that in galaxy trucker you are being asked to put together frankly quite complicated structures um under quite severe time restrictions and under medium levels of stress where this, as a card game, is, you know, more tactical in terms of, you know, nobody can force you to grab something and put it into a ship in a direction that isn't a good idea. <laughs> but at the same time, the machinations of how it all works together are much more basic. You know, you don't have any of that interaction that you have in um, Galaxy Trucker, for example, of, you know, having things that can chain together in terms of connections and in terms of being able to have, like, cargo being pulled out of nearby slots or having um special alien pods and stuff in all the expansions obviously not fair to compare a base game to a game with expansions but there is a bit of an element of the positioning of things in terms of if you do Mm. build off of one type of area on the ship with another of the matching type then it is cheaper to do so and there are cards that have abilities on them that allow you to have cheaper or sometimes free abilities to build uh, certain things next to them in terms of the actual kind of puzzle of making stuff attached to one another again not very complicated you know galaxy trucker you end up with all these dead ends quite quickly um because of the stress and uh (laughs) panic but in this you've got these four slots you can initially use to build out from your main uh main board which is the kind of main ship module the core module the core module and really you can be quite flexible. I think both of us in the early game were quite cautious, weren't we, in terms of like building off things with lots of connections so we could keep our options yes. open. Yeah, because you sort of have these wings that you can build out. It's like I'm building the green wing to the to the west of my space station and you're building a sort of red jungle off to the north of yours. You're kind of using one entrance to like spring off lots of the same thing and kind of combo them together, I suppose, because it gets cheaper when you build them next to each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I, we found that, like, actually, that wasn't something I needed to be too concerned about. By the end of the game, I still <laughs> no. had options, you know. I, I had options of where I could build. And, you know, I maybe could have been a little bit more fast and loose early on in terms of building, like, dead ends and adding them onto things a bit earlier in the game. Um, it was... I I loved the art direction on it. Mm. I, I thought it had a really lovely, chunky sense of the, the ships and uh, these kind of, like, fun crystalline objects that kind of represented i think the the points and the the, <laughs> yeah. the credits and the money i thought there was a really nice tone to all of that stuff and um i found the the building these very simple engines and then uh, uh having your kind of little ship growing as you went on very delightful and again scoring super impo- super easy in terms of just having more of something than other people but i think the point at which you got spicy um <laughs> In the slightest is the fact that unlike in Galaxy Trucker, where you build a ship and then, oh no, bad things happen to you, potentially because you've rolled some dice. In this, 
we were making bad things happen to each other. And we played this as a two-player game. Yes. And the bad things were not even randomized. It was specifically, I'm going to blow up <laughs> this part of your space station. I have 100% uh, control over how I screw you over this round. Yeah. Um, and that was, for me, I, I mean, I don't know. I found that brilliant, Tom. I had a great time <laughs> I'm sure blow, you did. blowing up your space station. <laughs> but I don't know how it was for you. I think I was quite salty at the time <laughs> because the last round was maybe one of the most miserable rounds i've had in a board game so so to clarify there are like six colors of modules that you score each round like red yellow green whatever you score each module each round whoever has the most scores points and in the last round you score double points matt had the majority because of and oh and damaged modules that are broken by the other player don't count towards your total and in the last round of the game matt shut down almost all of my modules with this barrage yeah. of event cards meaning that i won two points in the last round and matt won 10 which was my yeah. score you you won my whole score <laughs> just in the last round it was yeah, brutal yeah. it's great <laughs> um, sure. but yeah it that's that's i think that's the element where really in my mind i found it to be a really delightful very fun sort of trashy silly thing mm. and i think with three or four players i think it could be really quite interesting still quite trashy and silly and fun in a different way i, I think that the element of people trying to um you know convince people to to basically damage other people's ships etc uh, instead of yeah. theirs could be interesting uh, again could be horrible uh, you know it could just be a game prone to people just being horrible bullies um but <laughs> i did enjoy the meanness of it i did enjoy the fact that um the, the tokens we were putting on the cards to disable parts of the ship were satisfyingly <laughs> they're, large they're so big they are literally yeah. like you are done for this part of your ship is absolutely done for and it's I mean, to be fair it sign. did it did regenerate every round yes every round true. it would repair itself yeah. so it wasn't like i was decimating you it was more the fact that I just specced so heavily into um, sending covert <laughs> agents and firing cannons at you or whatever that every round, everything that you've made just got deactivated quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think specifically is a problem with a two-player game. Because yes. With, with other players, I would have been spreading the love. You've, you've been sharing the joy. I think that is exactly the, the where I came to with it. was like, I really, I think there's so much going for this game. And I think that, that visual design is so charming. It is so quick, so easy to learn. Like, it's a 15-page rule book. And, like, maybe six of them are the actual rules. Like, it is so breezy and quick and fun and like a nice little puzzle and it's got those take that elements if you want them that would work potentially in a larger game but in two it's like every negative card you draw it's only gonna go in one direction <laughs> um which meant that last round did feel like this kind of onslaught of like you know you could take several turns after you were finished demolishing me and i was like ah well i'm just done for the rest of the game <laughs> Um, yeah yeah i just had that combination of just the ability to draw up loads of cards kept drawing things that were useful and then effectively just led you into a series of traps where you were forced <laughs> forced to do something that then i would be expecting and then you know you'd fall down those stairs and at the bottom of the stairs there'd be a vat of acid <laughs> you pick up the towel to dry yourself and the towel is made of scorpions and you know it was it was beautiful it was it, uh, really it was, was wonderful it's a car crash um, in slow motion you could see the twitch chat being like oh no <laughs> Oh, yeah, they no, were like, oh, no. it's almost like, this is brutal. <laughs> it's like, yep. It's like, I am 
I am taking Tom to town and then for at a the dance. End, and, you were like, you know. and t- to top it all off, you're fired. And then it was just... <laughs> And then you cried. Then like, yeah, it was, it was awful. And I had to get oh, my it was such a bad five day. and pack up my things. Terrible. Yeah. As if we'd be organized to give you a P45 immediately. <laughs> Come on. You get that like months later when I check my emails. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I actually really liked it. It was dumb and silly and, and fun. And actually, like, I kind of felt like for the complexity level, it was kind of perfect. I think when I was playing it, part of me was thinking, you know, this is something that could benefit from from more depth i think it might be fun with an expansion to kind of add a little bit more of that kind of galaxy trucker mm-hmm. style you know um uh wildness or combo-y stuff but at the same time you know i think that it would then at that point start to run the risk of having a game where people worked quite hard to devise strategies and then it didn't matter because somebody kept drawing cards that allowed you them to just yeah. <laughs> repeatedly mess up your whole spaceship and i think you you have Uh, to have a bit of tolerance for that kind of thing to enjoy this game i think that i personally would would steer pretty well away from like recommending it to people i had a nice time with it i don't know if i'd buy it or if i'd want to have it because of the fact that i really sort of don't like that much random chance in in my euros and my efficiency puzzles and this does have lashings of that it is a sillier shorter half an hour game 45 minute game sort of thing um and if you're in the market for that it'll do that fine but i think that when i was reading the rules i was thinking oh this is going to be a kind of interesting little spatial puzzle and then by the end i was like this is you know my spatial puzzle is ruined matt's picked it up and dropped it on the floor repeatedly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that that was my spatial puzzle how can i build how can i build an engine efficiently because you stormed (laughs) off right at the start and had all these resources that i didn't and i was like well i can't compete with that so i have to crush it um I think a crucial thing for me as well is the fact that like a lot of the time when I play games like this, you end up in a situation where you're just crushing the other player and actually you're not having fun with that. You're mm-hmm. like, sorry, it's just the best thing to do. But I did enjoy the fact in this that I felt thematically it was it was fun enough that I was purposefully going out of my way to just become a machine that would crush you. Yes. And having a really fun time with it. And I think like, that's not ideal to have a game where it's a two-player game and one person's having fun crushing the other person, but it's certainly better than that and no one having fun. Of course. Um, and, well, well, and I would also say that that only happened in the last round of the game and we were basically done by then anyway. Last two yeah, rounds, if, like, you, if yeah. you know. The, 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 second to la- <laughs> the second to last round was a tease of what was to come in the final round, I think. Yeah, so it's about 10 minutes of being of being stomped <laughs> on, basically, which, which really most people can withstand. Uh, <laughs> that's the pull quote <laughs> on the back of the box <laughs> uh, but no I actually I was really fond of it it was uh, something especially I thought it would uh, probably play play very well in person with, uh, with multiple people and again you know it's like I think whilst people could be potentially just being mean and destroying one person's ship really it does come down to it's such a simple game that the strategy is as simple as like well there's no point turning people's modules off unless you specifically mm. want to stop them from getting more victory points or you are in competition for having the most of a certain color of activated things. Yeah. And that kind of rendered it with a bit of a kind of non-decision decision that was like nice enough that you just go, okay, well, I'm going to deactivate this. Yeah, well, of of course I'm going to do that because yeah, I want to get some, some sweet points. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely pretty light and pretty silly, and I can see it rubbing out a lot of people up the wrong way, including partially yourself. <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> Should we talk about the next game? Yeah. Yeah, so I played a game the other day, which has been on my, my little shelf of shame for a long time, and this is a game called Freedom! Exclamation mark by Phalanx Games. This is a, a two-player kind of war game, and... 
Um, I'll talk about it briefly because I thought it was quite interesting and I, I quite liked it. Um, but it's a game we're talking about on the podcast rather than covering it in a different way anyway, because it was I couldn't recommend it for a whole bunch of reasons. <laughs> uh, partially, it's very expensive. Partially, it may have been fixed maybe if they've had multiple print runs. But the print run I have here, which may be an old one, uh, definitely has a number of mistakes in it, which are kind of crazy. But anyway, um, it is a asymmetric game of a siege on the city of Messalonghi. And I apologize if I've said that wrong, but it's basically, it's about um, the Greek War of Independence from 1821 to 1829. Now, mm. fans and listeners of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast will know that last time I covered a historical game of cubes, I went away and did loads of reading about that era. I have not done that with this. So <laughs> if it turns out that this was just like uh, a massacre and the fact that this game portrays it as being like <laughs> a, a fight... Uh, then I apologize because I haven't done my research. But I, in my defense, I didn't get the sense that it was. And I thought what I really liked about this game yeah. was it kind of made me realize why people like these sort of, you know, war games. Capital W, <laughs> capital G. Okay, good, good. Because I was going to say... And the fact that <laughs> it wasn't... It, it doesn't have that, like, turbo dryness of those things. Sure. Um it does still have a very large menu which tells you all the different things you can do on your turn and there are quite a lot of them. Mm. Um, and it does also have lots of kind of quite specific little edge case rules to do with certain things, most of which are thematic and most of which make sense. But it's it's that aim of depicting quite a specific situation almost, not just a conflict, but a situation and the detail that goes into that and the, the rules and the way they wrap around that. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it, actually. I kind of felt like I was like, oh, gosh, I hope this doesn't awaken something in me. Um, <laughs> and the fact that I, as a child, I hated Risk. I thought Risk was the worst thing in the world because it's just a game of rolling dice and just it's rubbish. I didn't like it. But in this, I found that the mechanics very similar. It was just rolling dice and trying to get numbers to, to make shooting happen uh, when it came to a lot of the combat. <laughs> And I was fine with it because there was enough going on outside of that that it kind of tied into that kind of like Twilight Imperium thing of being like, well, okay, you know, like you, really the dice rolls are not the centerpiece here. Right. They are just the co the color on the edge of it that dictates other options and other choices. More mm. so here than it would be in TI. You know, if you lose your entire fleet, then your options are kind of falling <laughs> off a cliff um, regardless. But what I really liked about this was the fact that was clearly made with a real fascination for this period of conflict that went on for like you know eight years um but also the fact that it was trying to present it in a way that wasn't super dry that actually had like um some nice artwork on the board and some nice uh colorful interesting artwork on the um on the cards a lot it's not the best stuff i've ever seen in the world but it's like it, it was trying to provide a bit of color and flavor to something that otherwise would be very very dry and it's one of the few games i've played where actually you know you have this piece of art and then you have the name of the card um and then you would have the flavor text at the bottom which would actually be um you know like often a kind of fact about the the conflict you know mm. it would be like you know this, this would be like you know raids at night sort of thing and then it would explain like oh, often you know people would be doing this sort of thing and you know and then the card might be the name of a famous general or a tactician or a negotiator and then it would you know tell you a little about them at the bottom of the card and uh, i played it with a friend and we, we just found ourselves getting quite fascinated about it really it was just it 
it was one of those lovely things of having this board that takes place on a map that is very clearly a city under siege mm. from both with a big wall around the edge of it and then the sea behind it and this idea of people this massive army coming in towards the walls and trying to sneak around onto the beaches via the lagoons and the little islands and then having all of these cards that you play to do everything in the game being so thematic and giving a further sense of the situation of the tactics of of the reality of the history and i, yeah. I just think oh this is kind of really neat like because i find that often you know these kind of big war games will often be interesting if you are a history buff but the fact that it actually managed to kind of um meld the two together i found really interesting and really enticing and i just really enjoyed the fact that it kind of it kind of brought the setting to life in a way and because it's a setting that's based on real stuff it's like oh this is interesting like i didn't know about this i didn't know about the greek war of independence in the 1800s <laughs> so there we go i feel like that's the best thing that these games can do is like these these you know the, the heavier they get and the more historically accurate or historically simulationist they get the more they scare people away to some extent and i think that the exactly. best thing that these games can do is you know i'm looking at a picture of the board right now and it's pretty bright and it's got all these like cubes on it and it seems something that's a little bit more inviting and the best thing you can have with these is a sort of a, a stealth care <laughs> in the sense that you don't you go into it not knowing anything and you go into it playing a game that's about cubes and then through those card play through the sprinkling of it into the thing you learn something or you care about this conflict more or you you know you develop feelings for what you are looking at on the board yeah and it's got some geopolitics baked into it and again i don't know how accurate this stuff is but <laughs> i kind of get the sense that um that a lot of love and care has been put into it so probably some but the fact that in addition to having this this siege on the city itself you've also got this second uh board on the kind of slightly admittedly clumsy main big square board that is split into two different boards that has a board that's like the the um the kind of surrounding areas and uh, the mm. kind of like the regional map if you will which you can have an aspect of that which involves you kind of slowly chipping away at support in different areas in the region and then when you do so getting rewards for doing that and you know like having positions whereby um you have to maintain having uh, a, a good flow of supplies and food and if you're the empire that's coming in to try and stop the insurgents which i think historically unfortunately they did empires tend to empire um <laughs> you have to have money every round to keep paying the troops and stuff and and the fact that actually if you're not careful if you focus too much on maybe just trying to break the siege of the city you can lose support in the area if you do that then you lose your supplies and and again it's like having these little points of um taking control of different areas and maintaining a hold on these different greek cities is it's it kind of brings it all to life and there's some fun mechanics with Nero as well like i like the fact that it has a similarly to um uh watergate it has a thing whereby there are neutral cards in the deck but there are cards that are then specifically for the insurgents versus the imperials and um you can only use the ability on that card if it's a card of your type or a neutral type sure but then you can spend any card for action points that you can spend on doing a whole bunch of things. But if the other player spends a card, one of your cards on action points, then immediately afterwards, as your next turn, you can choose to activate the ability on that card, mm -hmm. um, which is a lovely mechanic that works really well. And I definitely had a round in this game where I was just, it was awful. I just, all of my cards were basically 
really good for the other player um <laughs> and the only way you can get away with playing you, you basically there's a way you can throw them away the only way you can throw them away is when somebody's done that and they've put a card down that you go oh i can use that power mm-hmm. on your next turn you just discard one of your cards to use that power and that card that you discard goes into the actual bin straight in the bin you cannot fish around and use right, that go right. away so basically it's like you have to do that to get rid of a card otherwise you have one card of your total eight each round that you get to bin at the end and you don't have to play. Mm. But my word, when you've got four cards <laughs> and you know that any choose. one of them, if you do it, the glee on their face. It's just like, I don't want to... If I put this on the table, then I'm in so much trouble. This, um, I, I mean, it is a vague recollection, and maybe I'll come back to it another time, but like, I also played another Phalanx game called Europe Divided, where you had that, but with scoring conditions... Um, you had these headline cards that would come out every so often and they would show you which regions on this map of Europe would score points. And each round, you'd have to play what regions scored, but most of the time you'd be holding ones that are actually really good for your opponent. So it's like you're looking at your hand and thinking, which of these territories can I take off them as soon as possible? And I, I, I don't know, it's made me think that maybe Phalanx is onto something with putting out these games that are taking... Because also what you're saying about these event cards, I feel like that's something that's similar in a lot of GMT or card-driven war games like A Distant Plane or Twilight Struggle or things like that with these cards you can mm. use for ops points or effects. Again, I'm <laughs> quite broad in my strokes here. I've not really got deeply into those games. But maybe they're putting... We can see a little trend of them putting these really juicy, interesting mechanics from those games into things that are just a tad more approachable and don't have the the counters that gmt games do because that's I mean, enough I, to put anyone I, off <laughs> i agree and i think i think more broadly than that as well i think phalanx are doing some interesting stuff at the moment i think they've, they've put out a bunch of things over the past couple of years that have uh, had some interesting ideas some interesting executions um and i i think like i'll get to uh some of the the reasons why i think it's still hard to recommend them in a moment but uh but yeah there's there's some really fun stuff in it i also really enjoyed the fact that in the second half you have two halves to the game in the second half of the game you switch to using a second deck mm. and the war kind of escalates and changes sure uh which is to sh- again to like you know having this sense of like now the battle is shifting and and uh you know having a situation whereby early on the empire can keep basically getting more money and just just it's very easy for them to be like can you just send some more money for this war and they're like yeah and the more you do it the harder and harder it gets to get more of whereas versus that the the insurgents get like one bit of help from the government during the game and it's just like it's just harder and harder but if you keep pestering the government then the chances of them giving you help become more likely but even after that it's like well you've had your help now you're done good luck (laughs) um it yeah it was um it was a really interesting you know still tricky to learn still had a lot of like fiddly elements but i did get the sense of it being an interesting one of those broader war games and the fact that early on it was like well i could rush the walls and try and take them down and blow them away with cannons and get inside or i could just like starve them out and just stop their supplies and cut them off or you (laughs) know thinking like a real empire yeah like it 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 was a really interesting siege game and I, i really enjoyed how interesting it was however yes um However, dunk us into the caveat cauldron. I have to dunk you right into the bottom of the cauldron, down to the gritty bits of the caveat. Cauldron. Oh, is there some like lumpy sort of spicy cheese down there or something? Yeah, some bad stuff oh, that fell no. in. Don't know what it is, but now it's in your mouth. Nails. Now, um, I hope not. That's, that's dangerous. <laughs> so the issue is, and again, this may have been an early, early copy of the game. I apologize if there have since been editions of this that have fixed it and changed it, but the version I have um, 
has some pretty major issues in the fact that the um, the graphic design is not bad. I think in terms of the aesthetics of it, I like the artwork. I like what they've done with a lot of the visuals. However, like the actual markings on the board and the way things are framed and the way things are like shown in terms of symbols, etc., is just not sharp enough and clear enough to pull off um, the task it's trying to, I feel, of, of, of taking a complex war game and making it a bit more approachable. And more importantly than that, and I think this is a classic mistake that we see so many um, game publishers making, the board is just so dark and it's just, it's just the, the ink is super dark. You cannot read stuff easily on it. It's just a misprinting. It clearly looked good on a screen, but right. then the nature of how the ink soaks into cardboard. And it's a shame because it's something we see again and again and again, often from publishers who haven't maybe had huge amounts of experience. Um, or maybe it was just technical error. I don't want to be throwing shade on people or calling people inexperienced. Apologies if that's the case. But whatever's the case, you've got a lot of stuff on the board that is just very small text that is basically imperceptible yeah. in most lighting conditions, which is not ideal. And... Um, in this case, particularly, I I don't know what happened, but I have a pretty strong inkling that two of the components that you punch out from the cardboard actually got mixed up in terms of size mm. because you have these these two quite large tokens that then are supposed to go onto a tracker on the board that is like a third of the size of the token. <laughs> right. And then you have these support tokens that go on each of the regions that are all absolutely tiny mm. and they're not fun to pick up because they're like a centimeter by a centimeter squares, Goodness. which is not something you want to be stacking and moving around. And I'm like 90% sure I would put money on it being that actually those two were supposed to be swapped in size mm, I see. to be different sizes, but they got them mixed up. And it means the problem is there's two of one of them. There's two of the big ones and then 20 of these tiny ones. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what happened, but it's it's like, it's not quite there and that's unfortunate. And then price-wise, it's like 40 pounds, 45 pounds, 50 pounds. And for what you get in the box and for some of these details not being quite right, very hard to, uh, to point people towards it because it's just not quite there. Um, sure. But yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting one. I think it's, if, if, if it's it's a good one to check out, give a look at. <laughs> check it right? out. Have a peep. Have a peep. See if you can get a big, bold, hot light that will illuminate the board for you. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? It's like, you know, half that board is like little trackers that you move tokens along and honestly would have been better served with a different system that wasn't a board. There's yeah. a whole bunch of things I'd change. It was admirable that they managed to get all of the pieces onto one sheet of punch board. Mm -hmm. And then there's lots of wooden cubes and stuff. But really, in terms of what you're getting in the box, in terms of the physical stuff, it feels like a high price point. But also in terms of the fact that it's a two-player game, a quite a specific mm, thing. Gotcha. It's, you know, it's in a bigger box than it needs to be. And it's more expensive. It's just a tough... It's a tough sure. sell across the board. But I mean, again, I, I think the pricing thing almost is, it feels increasingly moot and increasingly something that we try and talk about a lot. But I, I do wonder if over the next few years, that's going to be something that shifts and changes because... Because of the year. <laughs> well, yeah, like, you know, at the moment we have a situation whereby, you know, it's costing like five times more than it usually would to get games shipped around the world. Yep. And so we either have a situation whereby there are no games... Or we have a situation whereby games are more expensive. Mm. And I can absolutely see why a game like this is expensive. Because, you know, it's not a big mainstream product. It's yeah. it's it's a specific kind of niche thing. And print runs of small things that are complex and slightly niche um, can tend to be more expensive. Yeah. So I get it. I get it. Um, 
But anyway, hey, you that's know, just a side note. If you do want to give it a try, it is available on Tabletopia, I think. So you can check it out there and give it a little whirl before thinking, hey, is this the two-player siege game for me? Or should I just buy insert other two-player siege game here? I don't know what other two-player siege games there are out there. Siege Wars 20. War of the Ring. Is that a siege game? <laughs> I've never played it. I mean, actually, yes. War yes! of the Ring is a siege game. Yes! And... I I got some similar vibes to War of the Ring when I was playing this, but that is very much just because I don't play war games, and that's like <laughs> me being like boss baby vibes. You know, just a meme of being like, there's a, a meme I love of like, somebody has only ever seen the film Boss Baby, watches another film, and says, "I'm getting some pretty strong boss, boss baby, baby vibes from this." Um, I saw a version of that that was like that person watching Boss Baby Two, and they're like, "I'm getting some pretty strong Boss Baby One vibes from this movie." <laughs> uh but yeah i think i think uh, war of the ring is uh, is my favorite siege game but also it's huge and hard to find so there you go and not about greece in the 1800s arguably so to wrap up this podcast i thought i would talk a little bit about some of the games that i saw at the uk games expo in birmingham alabama <laughs> is it actually in alabama Birmingham, yeah. us i think so nice. is it that i hope that's correct i'll edit the podcast afterwards in a way that's very conspicuous if it isn't in alabama. nice um i went to the uk games expo because uh i had covid uh <laughs> hold on <laughs> that makes it sound that makes it sound a little bit irresponsible i had a bit of covid and then i, I had, feel I was... terrible i'm really <laughs> infectious i just feel so low i just want to be around people to cheer myself up <laughs> i didn't wear you a mask I was. I was sneezing on all the games and i was licking my hands and touching the hot dogs um no i had i i, I, had, I had my antibodies and i was ready to go and i charged up to birmingham to go and look at some games talk to some publishers and i'm going to tell you lot about three games that we might not cover. We might cover them in video later down the line. Who well, knows? technically, we're covering them we're right covering now. We're covering them right now. That's true. That's the thing. That's, That's what you got to remember. <laughs> uh, but I thought were really cool and weird and interesting. Are you ready, Matthew Lees, for me to tell you about... Yes. Karuka. Tell me about some things. <laughs> some things. Let me tell you, the first game that we'll talk about is a game called Karuka. Uh, mainly I want to talk about it because the person showing it to me was very enthusiastic about their combination of Karom, a flicking game, and Snooker, a poking game, I guess. Um, it's called Karuka. It's a combination of the two. Imagine, if I you will... Snooker's a poke and roll, isn't it? It's a poke and <laughs> That's good. That's good. I really enjoyed someone saying that bowling was the original roll and write game. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's true. It's true. Um, effectively, Matt, you've played Crocanoli. You played your Crocanoles, your Crocanals. I wouldn't say I've played it effectively, but yeah, you've played it poorly. You've played it weakly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember I got absolutely demolished by Quinns the first time I met him. He just used me to demolish me at Crocanole. The the reason you got demolished at Crocanole may well be because of the fact that actually, in the run up to Quinns reviewing Crocanole, we played a ton of Crocanole <laughs> when we were in Finland, I think. Oh yeah. Back in the day where we just used to sometimes be in other countries. To go for, to places. For some reason. Sure. Yeah, to just go to places. And I, I think at that point I was kind of demolishing him a bit. I think I was like, I was, a, as is often the case, a fast learner. And I was doing pretty well. <laughs> and then he went away. He got himself his own shiny crocodile board. Oh. And, he, and then he had his montage sequence. So yeah. by the time you got to him, 
he was ready to crush anyone. He wiped the I'll floor never be able me. to beat him at it ever again. <laughs> like, but that's but you know, I was the baddie in his uh, his what's it called his montage sequence yeah and you you were like just like outside you know in his memories like this sinister figure laughing over him punching punching bag (laughs) (laughs) but maybe maybe your chance is now to demolish him at karuka instead matt because imagine if you will a crocodile board but it's on a little set of ball bearings so you can fully rotate it at all times like which is wild to me doesn't you don't have to do the the one cheek rule this baby spins around and it's basically crocodile but it has snooker rules and i don't know how to play snooker so the very patient lady had to explain how snooker works before we could get into it but basically you flick a disc and then you've got all the red discs and you've got to get them in the holes and then you've got to pot the other ones one by one and let me tell you i don't think it's quite as good as crocodile i think crocodile it's good for a reason, but it was weird and fun, and I'm amazed at the craftsmanship of that spinny table. It was incredible. Like, just, oh, I want to <laughs> flick that. Let me just spin the whole thing around and give me a boop and get it perfectly in. Delightful and very strange. That does sound very strange. Yeah, you've got to be seen to be believed. But the other thing I want to talk about, and the other two things I'm going to talk about very briefly, were the two things that I saw. I saw them at the Cosmos Game Stand, Cosmos Devere Game Stand. The first one is the, what I want for Christmas, Matt. I want you to get it for me for Christmas. Please. What it is, is it? A train? The, <laughs> it's a whole train. It is the exit. You know, you were familiar with the exit boxes? The escape room? I am. Escape room I've boxes. done one of them. Yeah. I was in a submarine and then there was a squid. And it was pretty scary. I've got one that's uh, got a puzzle in it. A whole jigsaw puzzle. What? I know. No. Yeah. You liar. Yeah. Don't lie to me. <laughs> Don't lie to me, you liar. It's got uh, a jigsaw and silica gel. And that's all I know. Um, it's that's a, a good night in. <laughs> it's a night on the town. You pop you pop that on the table, pop one of them in your drink. You're having a great time. <laughs> it's um, laughing. It's basically one of those. It's an exit escape room. But they made it into an advent calendar, which made what? me right. So, picture it this so way. So, what you do it? But is it literally an advent calendar? Like you do it at Christmas? Yes. Well, that's the idea. That's that's great, right? And is it still about murders and stuff? <laughs> it's it's winter themed. It's cold, I think. But okay, here's what's going to blow your mind. Here's what's so cool about it. And I I was honestly like I was so jazzed looking at this happen in real time imagine a, a box it's not a box it's like think about a, a cabri milk tray right and then easy double the, <laughs> yeah, i've got one right on my desk now double the <laughs> thickness <you> never ask <laughs> double the thickness of that right and then yeah, the yeah, lid yeah. is like on a hinge if you imagine that and then instead of it being like um like sort of it goes down into a box it's like completely flat it's like it's like opening a briefcase almost and then in the briefcase there are lots of these little windows and you open the windows and inside them are these tiny little like paper dioramas of like scenes and if you tilt the actual advent calendar you can like look at different angles in each scene and see what's in each thing so like the person at the stand opened up the little window and you can see like a cave and there's like some gloves like sitting on the floor and there's like some science equipment and like a hazmat suit and they've all got little numbers on them and like little clues and you also had a little bit of text that pops out and you read the text and you got to work out little puzzles and i was like that's incredible that's that's board games it's not a board game it's completely something different but it was really cool it's games that's isn't on it? my radar it's just games just plain games 
that's very fun. Very and, fun. Like I, I think I'd like to pair that with a traditional chocolate advent calendar, and then every <laughs> yes. day when you solve a puzzle, you you can allow yourself the chocolate, or just a milk be... tray, the a Cadbury milk tray, yeah. and you just write like in Sharpie, just write the number like one, two, three, four, up to twenty-five oh on my each gosh. chocolate. Yeah. You've just you've just like gamed the system in a way that <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about. It's, it's Why of... would I spend a fortune on a really expensive advent calendar <laughs> when I can just write numbers on a box of chocolate instead of instead of getting an advent calendar uh, for my siblings uh, every year? Instead, I just get a packet of Skittles and I write a number <laughs> on each individual Skittle, and I hand you them can out just one write a day piece on fancy chocolates yeah. or with Tipex. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the number or you just do that number you just lay them out on the kitchen table in a row in a line <laughs> on on your mantelpiece yeah, uh, yeah above all of the stockings that you have for all yep. of your 18 children above I the think fireplace we've just cracked we've cracked the puzzle I've of christmas. broken christmas eat shit, cadbury's sorry <laughs> <laughs> i said to that that's uh yeah. yeah. Put put a quack put a quack on that. Yeah, you know, to put a quack on that. You can do what you like. Put a ji- <laughs> some sort of jing- jingle bells song. <laughs> some sort of Christmas based noise. I would go for. Great. Uh, let me get things back on track and talk about the final game in my trio, which is also a game from Cosmos, which I just very briefly want to talk about because I didn't play the demo. I just saw it and it made me happy. Uh, have you heard Matt about Robin Hood? The good news about Robin Hood, yeah. I have, and yes. his merry men. He's gonna. It's going to steal from rich people and give it to yeah. poor people. As if. Uh, basically, he might. He might. He, I hope he comes through this year. Um, <laughs> basically, Revenge of Robin Hood, it's a kind of... Um, oh, and I'm going to get a picture up so I can work out how best to describe this weird thing. Because it's a really strange game. But it's basically Picture like, of Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at him right now. You have this big map in front of you. And to walk oh. around that map, you have these little figures. And the little figures, imagine one of them is like a standard meeple, right? And then imagine the next one along is like a standard meeple, but it's got like, imagine in a cartoon, you're looking at someone running and they've got like a line of dust behind them. It's like that, but made out of wood. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I so get you. if you want to move like uh, faster, then you have to like put your first one down. Then you move your like sprinting figure down after it. And it's like showing your like sprinting to a location. That's weird thing number one to move around this map. That's how you, you like lay out these figures to move around. Weird thing number two, that map is covered in numbers. And the numbers, we're going back to advent calendars, they are like little doors. But they're like the ones that you sort of flip over. It's like, oh no, a better way of explaining it. You know the secret envelopes in the Pandemic Legacy games? It's like made out yes. of that material. The one where you like huh. sort of tear it open. But on the other side, they've got like people and things. So you start off with this blank map with nothing on it. But then as you play the game, you do these encounters and you flip them open. And oh, there's a knight there now. Or oh, there's a well. Or oh, there's something like that. And you cross-reference the number with a little adventure book. And you solve it using your stats and your wits and your puzzles. And I just thought it looks charming. Uh, it's pitched as a, a kind of family weight thing, you know, sort of ages 10 plus, two to four players, 60 minutes, that kind of thing. And it just looks really delightful and really charming. And I'm just, I'm really eager to just get a copy and, and see how it plays. I just thought it was really strange. Just just go off on an adventure with Maid Marion. Yeah, and Maid Marion's there. Everyone's there. Uh, Guy Von Gisborne is there. Will Scarlet, Little John, a crow, you know, all kinds of things. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the uh, Robin Hood sidekick that was spurned by the history books. The <laughs> yeah, crow. Exactly. A crow. crow. 
There was the crow, the frog, the moose, all scrubbed from the Robin Hood mythos. But yeah, that's three games at UK Games Expo. Uh, it's a weird time. I should explain. It was. Uh, I went up to UK Games Expo. And it was. It was. It was nice. It was fun. It was strange. Everyone was wearing masks. It felt safer than it should have done, considering there were tons yeah. and tons of people in that room. Well, I think I think you were the only person in the team who went because I feel like most of us, for various reasons, just didn't feel ready for it. Really, mm. it's one of those things where, like, even on paper, it may have been a lot safer than uh, than it would have been. I think it's a strange time in the UK, and I think it's uh, one of those things where globally, I guess, lots of people are just gently at their own pace, easing back into mm. normal things. But but due to the fact that you already had just had COVID and recovered from it, you were pretty impenetrable. Yeah. So you could just bound around, licking whatever you wanted, mm. shouting at the top of your lungs. I did. You can't touch me. I feel like I really did um, have the con experience in the, you know, I spoke to some people, I played some games, then I ended it all with a really, really bad bun with pork in it. <laughs> and yeah, it, I yeah, feel that's, like that's the convention yeah. experience, really. I mean, the true convention experience is you have like four to five days of bad pork. <laughs> and then... And then you feel bad. Yeah. Um, but have, go home with a nice warmth Warm of having feeling. played some fun games. Yeah. Now, I'm looking forward to being able to do some of that stuff again in the future. It's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, we shall. Um, we shall, we will. Yeah. We shall and we will and we will. But uh, yeah. Uh, congratulations, Tom, on physically going to a uh, place. Thanks. And Didn't get COVID. Tested negative afterwards. Just got my jab today. Got slammed mm. with a nice jab. Feeling good. Fantastic. And congratulations to you, the listener, for listening to 150 episodes of the Shalom Sedan podcast. Doesn't matter if you haven't. You can just pretend you, you can have. pretend it's fine. It's fine. Give yourself a pat on the back for getting it this yeah. far through this podcast. Yeah, you've unlocked the 150 episode badge. <laughs> Put it on your jumper. I thought you were going to um, say, like, you've unlocked the 150th episode super secret area where all, like, the kids hang out in, like, a cool <laughs> lounge and sip wine from, like, cups that look like pears. We've got as much grape drink as you want in a fountain. Help yourself. <laughs> we got Ribena on tap if you don't drink. All kinds yeah. of things. It's the best. Jump on in. And we'll see you next time for, that's right, episode 151 yeah sit down podcast what are we going to talk about matt board games baby ever the innovators that's it bye